mate, absolutely. I think it's all about the growth. It's all about the journey. And I think just learning from your experiences and, and take those chances. I think that's going to be a really important lesson. And if that's a take-home message I can leave for anyone, it's just just take the chances. Give it a go. You know, quit that job. You can always get back to, to that job if you need to and just take that chance. Like, it's okay. You'll make it work. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Torrin Shum and in this episode, we're back with Chris Ferris, the co-founder of CoPosit. Continuing to share his wisdom, Ferris gives us an invaluable advice on navigating current interest rates, shares his super secret strategy and champions the great Australian dream. And as a fun little bonus, he tells us how his company got its name. Continuing where we left off, Ferris's path to success is far from complete. We've covered his childhood, his education and the initial plunge into property. And now, his journey is about to really kick off. As we all know, the most important thing with property investing is to turn one property into two, into three and so forth. If you're Chris Ferris, then you can turn four into 40. So that site that we amalgamated which was, it was four lots and they were quite large lots. We had, a, we had a scheme and we were going to get a development application approval for about 85, 90 apartments on those particular floor blocks, which is why we were able to sell it for a significant gain. It, 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 was, it was luck, I suppose. We had good connections with some agents within the area and one of the agents approached us saying, hey, I've got a buyer that's missed out on about four other development sites. This was back in 2013, 14 at the time. And she had actually missed out on quite a few different development sites as we were getting very anxious to purchase. So... She came to us and made an offer and we were just like, well, we've, we've got to accept this offer. Um, and, and so we accepted that offer and we said, look, we can either develop this one in isolation, so go through, develop it, get it built, get it sold, sell it off the plan and deliver it or we can then sell this one off and actually lock up a few more properties and maybe develop four or five sites. Went, in, went into 40. So we locked up 40. Some were on some insane options, like some were you know, on – I think 48 month options at the time, but you know, it was if the property was worth 600, they were getting 1.2 um, at the time. So, you know, some insane, insane jumps. This is really, yeah, that is insane. I'm going to actually have to ask some questions here. Firstly, where, where did you learn about options? Because it's, it's a very advanced strategy, as you know, you know, not everyone understands that concept. So, the idea of optioning actually came from Daniel at the time where he said, Look, we've got, have you heard of optioning? And I said, No, let me have a look into it. And I came back to him about three days later and said, we need to option our properties because uh, it, it was a it was a low. It, sorry, let me explain. So it's extremely high risk. Let me put that out there. It's an extremely high risk option, but if you can do it right, it makes a lot of sense. Then when we when we got introduced to the accountant first, who then said met my partner uh, in the legal practice, who had done significant amount of options for other developers as well, and the accountant and the, and the lawyer who were our partners as well at the time, were able to give us the knowledge to say, well, this is how you do it. Here's the structure of the agreements and whatnot. So we were able to, but it was Daniel and myself that were physically going out, knocking on the doors, speaking to homeowners, getting the options done, which, you know, looking back on that now, and Daniel would say the same thing, optioning our properties is one of the hardest things you can do. Like I'm, not, I'm, I'm knocking on your door. You do not want to sell your house. 
but for for me, having a no is is not an answer. So I um I have to make it work. Great real estate agent, because that's what they day in day in day out. <laughs> like it, they did not want to sell. So I've I've got I've already secured the neighbor. I've already secured the other neighbor. I need the I need the person in the middle. So for me, it's not an option to accept no. It's about finding a way. And you get people that you knock on their door four or five times, and they don't want to. They don't want to speak to you. They don't want to know you. But for us, it's not having the option. Persistence, right? And not giving up. That was one of the early lessons: is is not giving up. And that's how we're able to get forty together. So, um, and we're able to work through in one row, by the way, or in multiple different areas, all different locations. So you know, we had this big A one, A two map big huge map printed out that lived on our on our desk and we were playing like a life-size game of, of monopoly you know oxford street etc man that would be so much fun so which suburbs did you did you target mainly we were just in seven hills so it was all those properties were in in seven hills so around that that train line so you know i remember george street olive street so the, these are the locations so this was actually us that's developed these best road there these are all the products that we had developed over the last eight years um and it's all because we were able to, you know, leverage off the back of first property investing experience, able to option. When it comes to hearing about others' success, it can be easy to pass it off as just luck and nothing more. As Ferris discloses details on the risks he had to take to succeed, he debunks the myth of luck once and for all. You know, was it lucky to find that? buyer to come in well you know there's a famous saying it's funny the harder i work the luckier i get right and um that is that is very much the case you know that was an amazing story for us to be able to get started and be able to get through and and option up some further properties but it's not always we weren't always winning there was there was one um, out of those 40 there was a a group of six properties that we had oh sorry five properties that we had locked up and you know we had a site of five properties we had a site of eight properties we had a site of ten properties at the time, we went too hard. We went way too hard, too fast. And we got to a point where we had two sites, um, quite large sites that we were looking to develop and build. But then we had this other settlement of these five other properties that coming up. So we had optioned the properties a couple of years back. Settlement, two, two years later, it, two years goes a lot faster than you think. Com- coming up for settlement and, and we couldn't settle. We couldn't, we couldn't settle on it. So... Uh, we decided to walk away from that and there was a six-figure amount that we lost on that, on those particular sites. We just lost those deposits. So the, the, the owners got to keep the properties. Um, they kept the deposits. Lucky there, that's that's the game, right? So, But it's the net sum was obviously quite beneficial, but on that one, we, we lost significantly on that those, those particular sites. Uh, but we were able to deliver, and, and in that area, we delivered close to 400 apartments in that location um, over an eight-year period. And What a journey. <laughs> It was an amazing journey. It was, it was tough. But going back to the Monopoly board, we we would have a a A two page printed out of every single property in that location. We would uh, we would have outlined each property. We would have a profile on each one of those properties. So we would know before we even lock, knock on those doors. We would know who that person was. Uh, when they bought the property, how much they bought the property for. We'd try and figure out what would motivate them. Like there was one. One guy who we knew we let we knew to leave him all the way to the very end. He was a real estate agent in the area, and we knew that if we had gone to him first, then maybe he would have tried to help Amalgam and, and affected us. So we had got everyone else on option locked in, locked away, and then went to him last. And he said, "Oh well, I'm just going to go speak to my neighbours and 
I'll get a deal done with them. We had to say, well, it's too late. We've already got your neighbors. So it was, it was a full-time game of Monopoly, which you talk about my childhood. And I can say Daniel and I played thousands and thousands of games of Monopoly. Uh, <laughs> and, and one lesson that I always learned from Monopoly was when I was, when I was always losing uh, in Monopoly, right? Cause Daniel's the older brother. So I would lose sometimes. And, and then he'd be about to win. And all of a sudden, when you're about to lose, I flip the board, right? So when things aren't going your way, you flip the board. So whatever someone's expecting, flip the board. But that that little lesson of flipping the board, it's not about throwing the game away. It's about if something isn't working for you, change it. Don't just keep doing the same thing. Flip the board. What's, what's your equivalent of flipping the board, right? So figure out how you can flip the board and change something that, that can make it work for you. And that's what we did in this scenario, and, and and it was a great success. We had you know a ten year partnership with our other two partners, the accountant and the lawyer. It was a great partnership. Being able to del- deliver those properties and those amazing homes for people that are still living there today and that love it. We speak to them, speak to a lot of the buyers still to today. Wow! And they they love what we've delivered there, and it's been an amazing journey. So it might not have been the unluckiest journey out there but it was certainly still a challenging one. Although he had many remarkable projects to choose from, Ferris reveals one such struggle. I'll talk on one of the, so it was in Olive Street, which you probably know, Seven Hills, and, and that was eight blocks. So eight normal houses, uh, I think it was 800 square meters per, per block. Um, we managed, yeah, so it's a big site. We managed to amalgamate all of those uh, properties together. Um, we submitted a development application for 138 apartments on that. So, you know, we turned six dwellings into 138 new homes, which I always think about that. And I think that just, it's just mind boggling, right? Like you talk about density and how you deliver homes. Well, you turn six, well, sorry, eight houses where eight families were living. And now there's 138 families or people or more people than that, but 138 families now living on those eight dwellings that were there before. So that's how you bring people into a location. So, but it took it took two years for us to get that approved in council. And shout out to Blacktown Council. Thanks for taking two years. <laughs> well, most councils take longer sometimes, so you've done very well. <laughs> Crazy to, to get that. Uh, it just took so long to get that done. And you don't realize, you know, I think people look at developers and think, wow, you know, there's so much money to be made here and so much time. But there is there is so much risk that, developers carry and there's so much time and pain that they go through to get these projects off the ground so i think you need to look at both sides of the equation there um the risk and reward that there is a lot of risk and pain to get that you know of course it is it is a big reward but there is a lot of pain to get to that point um and it took us about two years to get that under construction but um this was i'm talking on this one because this was the one that settled uh, we, we had settled all the purchases in 2020 and this was in, I think, August or September of 2020. So this was peak COVID period as well. Wow. So that's not a lot long ago then. So it's quite recent. It's quite recent. And I'm picking that one because of the COVID story and settling during COVID. We had people that were just, this was like, you didn't know if you could shake someone's hand. You didn't know if you could even be next to anyone. You didn't. And we had to settle, we had to settle 138 properties. And that was my job to, to go speak to everybody, to give them the confidence to say, Hey, it's okay. Don't don't stress. You know, you had reports from banks during the time saying property is going to go down thirty or forty percent. If you remember during COVID, uh, rates were on the way down. Uh, but people, pe- there was 
the people were scared. So just to clarify, when you said you settled 138, are you saying that that's when the apartments all finished building by that time and you're ready to collect all everyone's uh, settlements, 138 settlements, all the buyers ready to go in? And because it just hit COVID, everyone's uncertain because they don't even know if they're probably still worth the same price they bought it at. People are coming in and, and unsure. Again, you're hearing the, the media headlines that 30% drop. And as we know, property is a confidence game. So uh, there is no confidence from people to actually settle. And we had valuers at the time coming in and they were valuing below the contract prices. So it was it was a crazy time. Um, but we then had valuers that understood and came in and, and valued it correctly. Uh, at the Ultimately, they were hurting the clients to try and settle. Uh, but they thankfully, we, we had 137 settled. We had one buyer who was an overseas buyer who we still to this day can't locate, <laughs> um, who... who we just had to rescind and, and put it back to market, but they're since since sold. And, you know, I look back now and I think those buyers, they've probably made 5 or 10% since that amount, uh, since that settlement. And, and, you know, you just think, gee, some of these headlines that people follow and, and see, you know, even when you think about the other headline that was interest rates aren't going to go up until 2024 from the RBA themselves. And here we are in 2024, and I think I think interest rates have gone up a little bit, haven't they? Or <laughs> last two years, it's gone insanely. I remember it was like at three percent, and then it jumped now to seven percent or whatever it is. So it's just insane. Thirteen rate rises, but I think you've got to shut out the noise in property um, and t- and maintain your long term view in property. The short term, the short term view is a dangerous view. You've got to maintain that long term view and that long term strategy. Say so why are you actually doing this? Because particularly if you've if you've saved three, four, five years for that deposit anyway. You've had a long-term view to save your deposit. Why should you take a short-term view with your property investment strategy? You should also take a long-term view with your property investment strategy. Apartment construction is a different game, let me tell you. It's not just doing a granny flat or doing a duplex or doing a renovation. It's a completely different game, whether it's from consultants all the way out to the construction partners and the trades that you need to use. Um, But we were fortunate as well on that project to have, and the accountant had, again, a, a range of builders that he'd seen um, that he'd worked with and he'd introduced a builder who became a partner in the project as well to be able to build that and deliver that project for us, which was an amazing project. I suppose my my main role in the development side of things was looking at the finance, the sales and the acquisition of the sites. So from acquiring the sites all the way out to getting the pre-sales and the selling of the sites to the finance side of things and working with our finance partners to get the projects out of the ground, which is I take that knowledge now into what I'm doing at Caposit to not only sympathize and empathize with the developers that we're working with, but that knowledge, you know, we know the pain that they're going through and what they're dealing with. But then we also know on the flip side, their customers, so the clients, the purchasers, we know that the pain they're going through um, to be able to get into the property market. So the, the experience dealing with property purchases was the reason how Caposit was born. We, we had... Um, a project, I'm going to use the street names because you know them, in Best Road in Seven Hills where we had a client who wanted to rent one of the properties and he had a he had a household income, a great income of 160000 at the time and it was a $400 per week rental. And I said, look, happy to accept your rental but you know what are the reasons stopping you from buying? What's going on? And he just said, mate, look, every time I save and I get to a particular point, the market either moves and I just can't accumulate enough deposit to be able to get into the property market. And then we said, okay, well, we've got a next stage coming up, which was the Olive Street stage that I just mentioned. I said, look, why don't you rent and we'll let you buy without a deposit in this particular one, but pay us $2,500 per month and we'll get to the end and, and see how you go with the deposit. 
Anyway, he, he got through. He paid 2500 for 24 months. So he had accumulated that 60 grand deposit that he needed and he was able to settle. And him and his wife were able to get into that property, move in. And he just turned around and said to us, he goes, mate, that was the best thing that we've ever done. He goes, we were renting, so we're still living. We secured a property. We were able to save for that property whilst we secured it. So you, you remove those moving goalposts of trying to save for a property whilst property is still going up. And they were able to settle and they're still living there to this day. That's what spawned the idea of Coposit, where it's like, well, hold on. Is there a bigger application for this in the market? How many people are actually struggling with getting to the deposits? Or whether it's a first-time buyer or an investor, how many people are actually struggling with the deposits? Turns out a hell of a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that that was a real eye-opener to start Coposit. And then on our final stage, which was on George Street, next door to Olive Street, I say final, that was the final one as a developer. I'm no longer, we no longer develop properties. We, we develop, I suppose, through our clients uh, and we see the developments that they do. Um, we tested Coposit out on that project when we launched it in 97 apartments there in, in George Street. And we opened it right up and the model had shifted a little bit where, where it was, you start with a $10,000 deposit and you pay weekly payments until you get to a full 10% deposit prior to settlement. And we had a huge uptake. We had sixty out. We had sixty out of the ninety-seven apartments sold utilizing the Coposit platform, which was just mind-blowing for us. And that was an excellent strategy, I'll say, for any developer. To be honest, if you can actually pre-sell all of them using that kind of strategy, you've got yourself a development completed, basically. Correct, and and that's what we're seeing now. With you know, there's there's over fifty developers now live on our Coposit platform who utilize the Coposit method and this is why we, we've stopped developing because we're, we're helping the clients being able to solve the number one pain point in the market which is the deposit you know so often we hear affordability is the issue and absolutely it is an issue but before you can, can consider whether I can afford a property you need to have the deposit first then you can consider affordability so we help we help with that first barrier, which is the deposit, and then they help on the affordability side. So, you know, across the country now we, we've got projects in Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, where clients can actually now buy with a ten thousand dollar deposit any property and able to save weekly to get to that full ten percent deposit. So it's a game changer for not only purchasers, but for developers who are able to now get their project started sooner, get the sales across the line, maintain price in their projects as well. So that Coposit is being seen as the incentive for clients to be able to get into the property. And we're seeing a, a great up, uplift and, and great take up from a lot of the clients and purchases. It's a no-brainer because it's completely free to use Coposit as well for the purchases. It's a no-brainer, absolutely. Let, let's just break it down. I, I like to use your example down on George Street, as you said. Oh, is it George Street that you had 97 apartments that you started? Yeah, okay. So that particular one, how did you actually implement that initially? Because Firstly, you'd have to go out and find buyers and then from those buyers, um, I'm assuming you use real estate agents to be able to you know, market and so forth. Did they come directly to you to discuss that or was that sort of marketed as part of the campaign that you started with the sales campaign? It was marketed as part of the campaign. So we had you know, we had a display suite there in Seven Hills as well and then we had Coposit available here and people were like, well, what's Coposit? And they'd walk into the display suite. We had already educated the, the selling agents as to what Coposit is and how they can use it. And, and they loved it, right? I mean, Coposit for them is, you know, one of their sales blockers is I don't have a deposit right now. 
Yeah. Oh, I don't have finance. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I like that property. I can't buy it though. <laughs> I love that property, but I can't buy it. So we then say, well, no, no, you can buy it now. We're looking at their financial circumstances. We make sure that they can actually settle, come completion, but we help them accumulate the deposit during the construction period, which hasn't been used before to actually accumulate a deposit. So you secure a property today. And the selling agents were the primary, you know, they're our front facing, you know, soldiers, I suppose, actually selling what Coposit is and the benefit of it. And it's an, it becomes a no-brainer in the selling process. It's, you know, do you want to pay a 10% deposit? So if it's a, let's use an $800,000 example, do you want to pay an $80,000 deposit? It sits in trust. Nobody gets to use it for that two or three year period. Or do you want to pay 10000 10, and pay weekly payments and cash flow yourself out? You might have the 80000 but you might say, well, I'd rather cash flow myself out, leave that money on the offset account, for example, or have some money for living. And it becomes a no-brainer in that sales process. So Coposit was very much a part of our sales process when selling that George Apartments project. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. So what I'm just curious, as you said, this this is a free platform to use for for these guys. How did you make money back out of it? Because ultimately, you know, you you still got to be able to have enough profit in your Coposit business to be able to fund and sustain and upkeep to have any overhead costs, pay staff and so forth. Where was it that you guys, because if you had a buyer coming in and putting just a 10% deposit and they wait at two years and cash flowed at a weekly basis, you know, it's it's great for them. But for you as a business, where's, where, where do you guys make any, any profit, especially the time and effort you put in? Yeah, look, absolutely. The easiest thing for us could have been, we could have just said, look, let's charge the client or the purchaser X amount fee to be able to do this. But we then said, well, these people are trying to get on the property ladder. They may not have the deposit. We can't punish or penalize the people that are trying to get on the ladder by charging them and that's why we one of our core principles is it needs to be beneficial and free for the customer to use so from the developer side the developers have marketing budgets and they have costs where they have these budgets to get their projects sold so we're seen as a marketing cost where a developer funded and the developer pays per sale for us where it's able to develop funded so Every sale that's made, Coposit gets a fee for that sale to be done. And we disclose that to all parties because when a purchaser says, well, it's free for me or well, hold on a second, what's the catch? And that's our, that's our hardest question to answer, what's the catch? There really is no catch. It's a free platform to use. We've just changed the process and made it a better process than what it is now. And we're developer funded. We're similar to you know, an REA or a domain platform where there's project listings. You can download our app from the App Store. Um, or the Google Play Store, and you can see all the projects that are listed there. So there's a there's a pay, I suppose, to list onto the platform as well. And that's how we monetize the Composite platform. Having generally summarized what his company, Coposite, does, I'm sure many of us feel inspired to maybe start our own business. Of course, starting a business is not as simple as just that. Outlining his learning process, Ferris shares how he made the jump into startups and tech and shares a couple of tips for us too. Well, that that was a huge learning curve, let me tell you, the technology side of things because when we were a couple of years back when we were looking at the Coposit idea, we said, well, how do we best deliver this to our customers, so to the purchasers? And you immediately think, well, an app. Everyone's got phones. Everyone's got, you know, an app is the best way to deliver this to the customer. So we said, okay, well, we need to develop an app. So we engaged a, a third-party developer or app developer to to build this for us and that was an amazing process to go through and we learned a lot during that process uh, about a year and a half or two years ago now we brought all of that team in-house so located here in, in sydney here in Summerhill, uh, and there's about seven people in that team from engineers to product and product managers and we've just had some amazing people 
in the past. Um, you know, Wayne, uh, who might be listening to this, Wayne Wen, who was a fantastic uh, CTO who helped us build that team as well. And that was an amazing part where we were able to get this platform built and whether it's the website or the app, able to get that technology side of things built. But you mentioned that it's it's more of a technology company. And look, it absolutely is, but it's very it's property is still a hand-to-hand combat. It's still a personalized game. You know, I remember five or six years ago, a lot of the VR companies, so the virtual reality companies thought that people were only going to buy property by the headset and they, they'll do it from their house. We're still not at that point from from the economy side of things. People still want to touch and feel and get that personalized service, particularly with property. I mean, it's so much. It's the largest purchase generally that people will ever make and some people only buy one, if any, one at all. Uh, so it should be taking time to, to go and touch and feel and see that display suite experience. So it's still a hand-to-hand combat business, but um, we're seeing the technology side. It is very interesting to see the technology and property mix, the, you know, the prop tech side of things mix. And we're doing a fantastic job to be able to bring that in. And, and it's a full payment platform as well. So clients make all the payments by the by the Coposit app. Um, so they're able to see that on a lifetime basis. So merging all of that in has been an amazing experience. And it's a, been an amazing learning curve. Coming up after the break, Ferris shares invaluable advice to listeners looking to buy in the current market. Look, it's it's very difficult and, and we're seeing, you know, first-time buyers, in my view, are going to have a tough 2024. I think with affordability and interest rates where they are, it's going to be a tough year for people trying to get onto that property ladder purely from the affordability side of things as well. He highlights how important it is to bounce back from losses. There is always a silver lining to any negative situation. No matter how bad it is, you've just got to go through it and try and find what that silver lining is. And for us, that loss, the silver lining was we were able to deliver the other projects. So it was cut one off for the for the sake of delivering the other projects or put all of them at risk. He reveals the most important principle he maintains to keep a successful business. For us, um, you've only got one reputation and, and when it's gone, it's gone. So having having that trust and building that trust and and having a solid reputation in the industry uh, is something that's extremely important to us. And that's next. I'm Taran Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. Of course, starting a business comes with even more things to learn beyond just the business and tech side of things. Thankfully, Ferris is more than happy to teach us. From the regulations and rules to the specific trust accounts, Ferris shares some information on how to get your business going. Yeah, so we're licensed under the real estate license per state as well. So Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, Victoria, we're licensed per state to be able to hold trust money. So all monies that we collect go into a trust account, they go into individual accounts per client. Um, and they're invested into term deposits. They earn interest as well. Particularly now, particularly now, it's becoming more important as interest rates have gone up. The interest, you know, over that two or three year period, can be quite substantial for for purchasers and developers to accumulate. Um, so we're licensed and regulated uh, under the trust um, side of things and, and the real estate licensing. And you mentioned about interest rates because, as we know, you know, the last few years as well since COVID, rates have been increasing insane. How has that impacted for purchasers to be able to put money into these developments? Because right at the beginning, we talked about how hard it is to get the supply, but also at the same time, how prices of properties have gone up so much. This is kind of the perfect time to talk about this topic because how do people afford to be able to buy properties that are so expensive at this point in time? 
Look, it's it's very difficult, and, and we're seeing you know first home buyers, in my view, are going to have a tough twenty twenty four. I think with affordability and interest rates where they are, it's going to be a tough year for people trying to get onto that property ladder purely from the affordability side of things as well. You know, if if you earn a, a, an income of a hundred thousand dollars back in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty when interest rates were low, your borrowing capacity was a lot higher than what it is today. That's just that's just what it is. The difficult thing is as well. I think a lot of people think when interest rates come down, they'll be able to, to afford that property. The issue, I think, with that is there's going to be a lot of people in that same boat. So when when interest rates do come down eventually at some point, whether it's the back half of this year, as people are saying, or towards next year, uh, that means you know if there were 20 people that were looking at that same property today, there's going to be 30 people that are looking at that same property, uh, if not more, right? Because they're all na- now able to afford the property because interest rates have gone down, which is in turn going to push prices up. And that's what I was going to say. No, absolutely. And that's what happened last time because when interest rates were so low, everyone was going, yep, I can go and pick. But then you, you attend these open houses and you got queues and queues of people lining up, 30, 40, 50 groups going and competing. And then when you compete, it starts as a silent auction and then prices start going up. And then that whole cycle happens again. So, you know, it's not, there's not always going to be the best time to buy, but it's just going to make a decision to buy either now or later. And you just got to wait for the time that you can afford to do it, not, you know, when the market's right. That's the thing. I think when you can afford to do it and, you know, not, I'm not giving financial advice by any means, but even if it's, if it's above the affordability, like really at the time when I bought my property at 300,000, I was earning an income of 33,000 at the time, but I knew that coupled with the rent and coupled with my income, I could, I could make it work. But I was always in the hole every every month. I, it was it was a struggle. But I knew that if I ha- maintained my long term plan, you know, judging you can you, you've only got history to go by, right? So if you judge by by history, um, you know, property is going to go up. Every they were saying back then, every ten years it doubles. I don't know if that's going to be the case again, but every ten years it doubles. So if you maintain your long term view with property, what you think is expensive today in ten years won't be expensive, um, and, and that's what I think gets you by and gets you into that point so the right time to buy is when you can afford it and just try and get in and and try and block out a lot of that noise um, that we're seeing and and the noise continues like we're seeing the noise now like interest rates are going to go down end of this year that's what that's the noise we're hearing that's all the economists and all the experts are saying that right so everyone's looking at that and they i think a lot of people take that at face value and i think that can be dangerous predictions are the most dangerous thing uh and, and listening to those predictions uh can be difficult i think you've just got to pick some really good mentors and people that have done it before, hear what they've got to say. And, and then at the end of the day, do your own research and make your own decision as well in accordance with your strategy and know your financial position. Although Ferris's confidence when talking about his journey may deceive some into thinking he had an easy journey, he has never been completely smooth sailing. He shares the worst scenario he's faced. It's been a wild property ride and I'd say at the moment that that wild property ride is I've put it on hold because of what I've gone through and because of what we're doing here at Coposit. You know, I actually indirectly get to live my property dreams or journeys through our developer clients because I can see what they're doing but I can also live a lot of that property journey through our clients that are purchasing because I can see the struggles that they're getting through. I can, I, you know, that's the struggles that I went through at the same time as well and, and it's great to see people get to the end of the journey but... I would say the worst period and point was was losing in that option part, you know, and that was a two year period. We'd spoken with the owners; they they were great owners as well. Like they they tried to to help us get to that point, but we just couldn't get there. But you know, that loss was when you talk about mindset, 
that loss was the best thing that happened to us. At the time, it felt like the worst thing that happened. Uh, and it was dark clouds coming over. But you just need to find the silver lining. And there is always a silver lining to any negative situation. No matter how bad it is, you've just got to go through it and try and find what that silver lining is. And for us, that loss, the silver lining was we were able to deliver the other projects. So it was cut one off for the, for the sake of delivering the other projects or put all of them at risk. And, and at the time, we didn't know that specifically, but that's exactly what it was. It was sacrifice that site and lose a substantial amount of money, but it was for the benefit of the other projects to get them up and running. And it was the best thing that we did in hindsight two or three years later. And even to this day, we still look back at, on that big loss and say, that was the best loss we ever had. And it's, and it's rare that you can look back at a loss like that and say, you know, that was... That could have led to a financial ruin or a disaster in the property side of things, but but it taught me as well, you know, don't you know, don't drop the pie while reaching for for the stars, you know. So you've got to you've got to make sure that you you know. It taught me a lot on risk. It taught me a lot with investors, and the investors were happy to to come for that journey because everyone did very well out of it, of course. But um, that was part of the journey, and you know, it was it was the most difficult lesson to learn from a mindset perspective at the time. It was it was depression days right but we got through it and, and made it work for the other projects and it was it was a fantastic learning experience i'm just curious as well this is sort of a little bit off topic what kind of like um, investments would we have required in order to complete all these projects just acclimate it like have you total enough how much you've had to, had to put into that because it, it goes to show that you're dealing with <laughs> well large sums of money here Look, typically, you know, a site like the the Olive Street one, for example, which was 138 apartments, you'd need, you know, from the land price, which was about 10, 10 million all up, um, then you've got probably a 40 or 50 million all in costs um, altogether. So say your whole costs on that, are, say 50 million or 60 million, even, you don't need 60 million in cash to do that. What you, you need a certain percentage and usually that works out to be, at the time back then it worked out to be, have your land paid off unencumbered. So no loans, and then the the finance will will do the rest. But depending on whether you're financing those projects with a bank or a non-bank as well, that's really important. Generally, if it's a, if it's with a, a major bank or a banking institution, it's lower LVR, so you can borrow less, and that means you need to put more money in. If you've got a non-bank lender, they're generally a little bit more aggressive, maybe priced a little bit higher in terms of the interest rate, but they'll generally give you more money, so you don't need to put as much equity in. So they both have pros and cons. Um, at the time, we used bank lenders, um, so it meant we had to put basically have the land unencumbered. So, you know, we needed circa 10, 11 million into that project to get that up and running. Um, so that was a combination of investor funds and then the original funds that we had made on that sale that we had, and we had dispersed that through. But then, as you go through and, and make those, uh, get those sites delivered, and you just keep moving um, across to those next stages, and so it's a substantial amount of money to to get in. But we also had a great story to tell with the investors. Um, and again, it was great experience figuring out how to, to work with investors and keeping investors informed. I think that was a really important one. You know, we we, we didn't hide anything from our investors. I mean, it, whether it was good or bad, we just told it straight. Whether it's a problem, whether it's good or bad. You, you, I find if you aren't straight with people, then you get into more trouble. You need to, if you've got issues, you just need to tell whoever it needs to be told and they, you can come up with a solution together or, or figure it out together. So that was something that was a great lesson for us as well, that being upfront is the best thing that you can you can do. And even if it means having a very, very difficult conversation with some investors or not, 
you're better for it in the long run. And and everyone is thankful for that in the long run. So that was another great lesson on the the mindset side of things. And, you know, even to this day, if I pick up the phone and, and contact one of those investors, they, they, they love talking in it. It's, you know, we always reflect on some of the great times and the bad times that we had. And it's just great to be able to have that relationship after you finished um, with an investment. And if we needed a new project or anything new going forward, we can contact those investors again. And they're happy to, to work with us, which is that's all that that's the main thing in life. Yeah, it's those relationships, it's the trust that you've built with them. It's that communication. It's so important and it's all part of that. I mean, that's the thing. It, it takes time to build the trust. And once you build that trust. For us, um, you've only got one reputation and, and when it's gone, it's gone. So having having that trust and building that trust and and having a solid reputation in the industry uh, is something that's extremely important to us. So let's take a step back and say, okay, if you met yourself say ten years ago, what do you think you would have said to this young Chris? Mate, that's a, that's an interesting one. I, I would again, I'd talk on the losses. I'd say savor the losses. You know, like it's it may feel very difficult at the time. Savor the losses. Don't dismiss it. Don't put it to the side. Don't bury those feelings. The loss should be there to drive you forward. Uh, I think you know if you if you have a difficult time, whether not financial loss, even if you have a difficult time in life, just Know that that's part of the process. It's part of the journey, and you, you you're going through that for a reason. There's someone there that wants you to go through that for a particular reason. You're going to come out stronger at the end of it, and don't be afraid to take risks. I think you know risks are part of a part of life. You don't want to get to sixty or seventy or eighty and, and even think, oh, geez, I wish I did that. I can I can actually say to this day, I still don't have any. Oh, I wish I did that moments. Um, I, I've every opportunity that I've had, I've tried to go for it and try. To, to make it work and, and try to, to have a success in those opportunities, whether they've worked or not. Um, but I think you've just got to understand the risks and know when something is not a good opportunity and, and put that aside. But then know when something is a good opportunity, but it has a bit of risk attached to it and it, it could make you feel a bit uncomfortable, but just go for it and know that that uncomfortable feeling is growth and that's going to push you forward. For sure. I love that. I resonate with that because sometimes out of the pain that you gain, there's actually a lot of wonderful things that can happen and you don't know until it happens later on. That's the thing and um, that actually helps you become a better person, change and grow and etc. So, I totally resonate with what you just said there. Mate, absolutely. I think it's all about the growth. It's all about the journey and I think just learning from your experiences and, and take those chances. I think that's going to be a really important lesson. And if that's a take-home message I can leave for anyone, it's just just take the chances, give it a go. You know, quit that job. You can always get back to, to that job if you need to and just take that chance. Like, it's okay. You'll make it work. Totally, totally. Let's look at the future. Coposit is obviously now your full-time main um, role. You know, at this point in time, you've obviously uh, had a really great run in property development, and I'm sure that you, one day you want to go back into it, maybe. Uh, but what do, you, what do you see or excited about that journey in the next say five years? Look, I'm really excited that I mean, Coposit to me, getting Coposit out of the ground, I call it, uh, which is similar to a development. Uh, you know, you talked to my experience about building an app. It's very similar to building a building. It takes time and a process. Um, but my experience in, in Coposit and, and where we want to go is there's been a huge journey to get us to this point today. Uh, it's probably taken us two or three years to not only build the platform and, and get an MVP, so a minimum viable product, get market recognition, but to get active discussions with the banks, which have taken 12, 18 months. And we've now... As of the end of last year, we've now got a top four bank, which is loving the Coposit platform. And there's multiple banks that are loving the Coposit platform. But this particular bank has said, 
we want to make composite as part of our process and and that's been and they're seeing it as an opportunity to to help Australians get into property and and for, probably from the social impact side of things so i think from us this is the beginning of the composite journey and the beginning of being able to to change the game for people to say you know saving for that 10% deposit then buying a property you don't need to do that anymore we've now changed the process for you to say you can now save whilst you've bought the property and i think that's a game changer absolutely it's not done in market yet on a holistic basis we're amalgamating the whole market to do that and so i see you know really big market where all developers are listing on the coposit platform australians are buying with the Coposit platform. They're loving the fact that they can now get into property with just a 10K deposit. So we've leveled the playing field for everybody. For most, if not all of us, we dream of owning a home. Unfortunately, as the years go by and the interest goes up, this dream feels more and more like an impossibility. For Ferris, Coposit is the answer. Whether you've got 500 grand in savings or 30 grand in savings but have a good income, you can now get onto the property ladder. And I think that's my concern is the great Australian dream is it dead. I mean, I talked to one of our staff who joined us uh, about six months ago. He, he's 21 years old. And I said, do you know what the great Australian dream is? And he didn't know what it was. Um, it, didn't, it didn't know that the great Australian dream is owning property. And I think it's because it's dying. And, and I, I think home ownership is one of the most important things to create long-term generational retirement wealth as well. So um, owning property is really, really important. So keeping that great Australian dream alive is something that sits really close to my heart and making sure that people can buy property. I mean, I've got four kids myself and I think, well, if they, how the hell are they going to get into property? If one, it, let's say I don't help and I don't give a guarantor loan if that's still around in 20 years time or 10 years time, how are they going to be able to get onto the property ladder? The, the, the answer is they've got no chance. That, that, that's the answer. There's going to be a generation of people that just rent. And there's nothing wrong with renting, but I do believe that having home ownership is an extremely important part. So making sure that we keep the home ownership dreams alive and let's get the great Australian dream back up and running. Look, that's it's still a thing, guys. It's not it's not dead. Let's get it back up and running and you can now buy property and, and the message is Caposit can help you achieve those home ownership aspirations and dreams. Amazing. I love it. I love it. I, I, the thing is, is, yeah, you've done so much. I don't know where to start. <laughs> Well, let, let's take a look at this. Is uh, Chris, you've achieved so much great success. How much of this success do you think has been due to skill, intelligence, hard work, and how much of it do you think is luck? Mate, I wouldn't say I'm the smartest guy out there. I really wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't. I don't like the term luck. I believe you make your own luck. And again, that quote: "The harder I work, the luckier I seem to get." Um, I think you've just got to put yourself in the right positions to take advantage of the opportunities. And again, if you see an idea or an opportunity, just go for it. I mean, I was working full-time at Deloitte at the time before we then I quit Deloitte, which was a great job, great location, great company to work for, to then quit and become self-employed, not even earning an income right at the time, to then say, let's do this property development thing. Let's get this up and running. Let's see if it can work. And, you know, took a chance. And I didn't know what was going to happen at that time. I had just got married as well. Uh, no kids at the time, but I had just got married and quit my job. And I, I remember telling my wife, like, hey, I'm going to quit my job and we're going to do this property development full time. And she's like, okay, just go for it. You know what you're doing? Just just give it a crack. Um, and I think that was probably really important. Yeah, that was that was really important. My wife, she's amazing. Um, 
you know, having that, having that support network of her always pushing me forward or being that soundboard there in my lowest moments, you know, she's just been there to bring me back up. And I think that's, that's a really important point. Um, but, you know, just take the opportunities that are there and, and just don't be scared of it and just, just give it a crack. That That's, that's, you can't lose by giving it a go. Uh, if you fail, that's just one step closer to having a success. So just get out there and, and give it a go and you might succeed on the first time and that's that's a win. There's no such thing as fail if you give up. <laughs> There's no fail if you've never tried, right? So. <laughs> Finally, Ferris shares a lighthearted anecdote on how he got his company name. Mate, I, I have a... And this is a famous story. I have a note in my phone back in 2019. It was like 2 a.m. in the morning and I had all these different name ideas. It was like you deposit, co-deposit, co-posit. And then I had like the, I had a slogan for you posit. It was like the deposit is based on you. It was tragic, right? It was terrible. Um, and then co-posit was on the list. And I just I looked at Daniel and I said, what do you think of this name? Co-posit, co-posit. And it, it's a word that, it, it, it's not in the dictionary. It means nothing. And it took us like six months to educate Google on what the hell co-posit means. <laughs> um, but it's it's a unique word. And that was something really important that we wanted to have a unique word, two-syllable, co-posit. Um, and it's a play on the word deposit, of course. But the word co is we're doing it together. We're, we're helping you do it together. And that's that's really important. So, um, you know, we're, we're helping you save your deposit in the co-posit platform. Uh, so the co-posit and deposit. So it, it, it just one of those words that just worked out, but everyone we talked to, when we started building the team two years ago, the word co-posit, it's just got this familiarity to it. It's got this homely feeling to it. It's I love the name too. That's why when I looked at it, I went, wow, I got to find out how it came about. It's a great name. <laughs> Congrats on that. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure to have you on and uh, wishing you all the best as well too with all this pleasure is mine mate thank you very much thank you to chris ferris our guest on this episode of property investory